0: I chose to be a nurse because I knew that it would be something I'd be good at, that I could, I could care for people and I could use my own natural compassion that way. During my first week as an ICU nurse, I remember holding a woman's hand as she slowly and deliberately fell into death. She had cancer, but she wanted to be allowed to just die without us intervening or doing anything for her. It was peaceful. Just her and me, the dark room, just kind of a slow descent into death. And that's really what I imagined working in the ICU would always be like. But in reality, in the ICU, we took people who were basically dead already and proceeded to hook them up to every machine that we possibly could just to keep their bodies from doing what they wanted to do, which was to die. The people who wanted me mainly to keep... The patients alive were their families. They just wanted this one last chance to prove to their grandmother or to their mother or to their father or to whoever it was that they loved them. So they felt like the only way that they could do that was to keep them alive, which meant that we had to torture that person every day. I felt sad for the people, for the patients, and I felt sad for me because I felt as if I wasn't doing good in the world, I was actually hurting people. I never quite realized how much the deaths in the ICU, or the lack of deaths, bothered me, really, until I became a nursing supervisor, which meant I also had the duty of pronouncing people dead. The first time I pronounced somebody, I was really, really nervous. I think all of us have this fear that we're going to be pronounced dead, and not be dead. And so I was terrified in a way that not many people are that I would pronounce somebody dead that wasn't dead. As soon as I started to go in the unit, I realized, oh my gosh, I think this is the lady whose granddaughter I spoke with the day before. I'd had an interaction with her the day before about something entirely different, and she was crying at the side of the bed. So now there's this person that I liked and who I felt sorry for, She'd already cried on my shoulder. Who's waiting for me to pronounce her grandmother dead? And I'm completely nervous because I'm afraid that, you know, I'm going to do it wrong. So I walked over to her grandmother, and I listened to her heart, and I listened for 60 seconds while I was looking at my watch. There's kind of like almost a show to it. I pick up the stethoscope very obviously, and then I place it on a different part of their chest to listen. And then... I said, the time of death is 3.42. Her granddaughter just kept yelling at me, no, 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 no. She knew that there was nothing I could do to bring her back, but there was some way in which somehow she thought if I could change my mind about it, that maybe her grandmother would come back. I had to take a second to think about it, and then finally I said, no, I'm really sorry. She's passed away. She's passed then she came up and she hugged me she was so intent about it her not being dead and then so grateful in the end it just it made me feel like I was providing a I was in the right line of work finally I think there's something really reverential about a recent death because the body's still there and it was just breathing a few minutes ago and there was a person there I really think that they can hear me as I go about my job, or at least just that little part of them can hear me. I always call them by name, and I always speak to them as if they're living. And I treat them as reverentially and with as much care and as much empathy in my voice as I possibly can, because if they can hear me, I want them to remember that as their last thing. Big thanks to Jane Churchin for sharing her story. You can read an award-winning essay she wrote on this subject in the Best American Essays of 2011. We'll have a link on our site, snapjudgment.org. You are listening to Snap Judgment, and to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.